0: Welcome. We're back. This is episode 133 of the Survivor's Guide to Life podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, last time we were with you, Peter had just returned from a trip to Florida uh, to see his mom, and we are back into our regular routine. Another thing that we're back to today is an article that we found uh, late February that we were very impressed and touched by, and we we as we do around here, every so often, something that we loved surfaces again, and we say, wasn't this an important article? And this one was from the New York Times. Uh, the title is, We Must Learn to Look at Grief, Even When We Want to Run Away. Uh, the author is Sunita Puri. She is a palliative care doctor
1: the one, I, I always think the one, the palliative care doctors that we know are all hospice doctors i they often are part of the hospice system yeah and the doctors we know are more along the line they're they're a different breed it's a different approach it's not the approach of curing um
0: extraordinary measures it's the acceptance that quality of life toward the end of life Matters in the decisions people make about treatment. Yeah, uh,
1: yes. And you know, when I, it was such a relief to me to meet palliative care doctors after the real clinical work I know that we were immersed in and taking care of my wife and taking care of others, that where they're trying to do anything they can medically and scientifically to find answers. And mm-hmm. uh, what we really have seen with uh, the real, much more serious. Uh, sicknesses, uh, like we've had terminal diseases, and after what we've seen over the last two years or so with the pandemic, is that there aren't always scientific or or clinical answers. No. And that instead you have to bear witness with families and loved ones and people going through this in a different way, because you're not going to have answers. You're not going to have cures for them. Uh, I mean, I remember at one point we had to walk away from it. We looked at it and saw it was actually doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. Now we've seen that many more times since then.
0: One classic way uh, that we saw that was that each time we would take Lynn to the emergency room, she would be depleted and come home not... Worse, able to recover to the same place as before. And when we were then working with hospice, they mentioned this that going to the emergency room is an extreme experience for people near the end of life yeah. and should be avoided if possible.
1: Yeah, we learned a lot. It was along the lines of what we were experiencing, it was along the lines of what we've known uh, intuitively and with our own experiences as a trauma. Uh, Helping people with trauma and families with trauma. So it was a long, it, it fit, but we were immersed and it was taking, it was a very, these are very personal journeys. So we learned an awful lot. What we've also learned is we weren't alone. There's plenty of people that know what we do or and more and see it the same way that we do. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we have run into, and I, I, I've spoken about it so many times. Is when your loved ones or you're helping others that are dealing with terminal illnesses and sickness, um, th- traumatic sickness, uh, it is so frightening and overwhelming. And it creates a grief reaction. There's different kinds of grief reactions. Even when the person's still alive. Yes. Um, what's that? Ambiguous, ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss. Ambiguous grief. And we, we've learned so much about that since then. And it's also very intense grief, so it's, it's not it's, it is. it's not less. It's, it's, it's very intense. But what we've also seen is people's different reactions to facing the mortality. Mm-hmm. It's not a subject that people uh, approach lightly, and if, uh, especially in our society, we've talked about this before. How our society has been set up with so much distraction mm-hmm. from not even going near the issue of mortality until the pandemic. And then we were, we had collective, a collective bombardment of trauma and grief and loss that has been enormous. Well, we've lost over a million people to it. Mm -hmm. Last week I found out that my own mechanic, he almost died, he was on a respirator for a month. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that. And he talked about it. He talked about what he went through and what it was like. and he's I, not
0: he's a young man. He's young. Relatively young man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's in
1: his thirties. Yeah. But he almost died. They didn't think he was gonna live. And he was on the respirator itself for over a month. But he you know, he spoke to me and I listened. And I was we at this point have such a familiarity mm-hmm. with the experience that it was it was easy to listen to, it was easy to be there and relate to him as a as a fellow traveler and a fellow human being. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've seen we've seen reactions to these experiences, two but very pronounced. One. There are those, um, and I want to say such as myself. Okay, I get to use myself uh, that instead of running away from it, really look at it as an opportunity to be there for the person, be very involved, do whatever I can, no matter what, how critical and how much of a crisis it is, and to really look and examine. So much of what goes on when I'm involved, mm-hmm. um, and when things are going on, and you know, it's a tough, it's a tough road. But I've also seen many others that don't want to look, and they run away. Mm-hmm. And uh, <coughs> I can't say I've had a whole lot of understanding or compassion for people who do that. Mm-hmm. But over the over a period of time, I think I've softened. It's not that I think it's the best way to run away. I don't. I think it's also very human. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know, it, 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 when it, when we read this paper by Sunita Puri, she speaks about um, her her tendency was to want to run away too. Yeah, she even made a little bit of a joke of it. She said
0: when she was beginning her practice and she was confronted with such
1: painful experiences,
0: she would she would indulge in in a chocolate cake and Saturday Night Live.
1: Well, I don't do Saturday in that but I love chocolate. But anyway, but what she was talking about, I guess everybody has has to face that that kind of get that confrontation. I can't even remember in my life when that happened. It had to be so early in my life because I was a survivor of a pretty rough upbringing. But I'll tell you the truth: um, when she speaks about it, she made the transformation and, and transition. <coughs> excuse me, to, to stay and to face what was going on and yeah. to be there for people in there when they needed it. She said,
0: eventually I realized it wasn't my job to protect people from their grief or to solve it. I've learned to look. When I want
1: to look away, right, and you know that that attitude she had, to, you know, she had conventional medical training, obviously, because mm-hmm. it was to solve the problem and to, to intervene. Yeah, it's a more That's, traditional role, absolutely. And yeah. I remember when we had to, we faced that, like, we faced that ourselves, and realized that is the acceptable and require i that that's that's a standard for the medical profession right until you go over to palliative care and then you go into a whole new world right of, uh, and she's she obviously went from one to the other because she's so be- she writes so beautifully mm-hmm. she talks about something too and she talks about uh bearing witness to uh being there and bearing witness to very difficult conditions and seeing things that are very difficult and um, she talks about bearing witness as being um, a prelude to compassion. And yes. I love this. This lady writes beautifully. She
0: is so eloquent about that. She is.
1: And the truth is, it's something that we firmly believe in and then we know it's true. And we try to convince people who are runners to not run away. And if they're running away, it may be something that they feel frightened of or, and they say, well, I feel compassion inside. That's not, I don't believe it. I think that you got to hang in there. Yeah, really face it to find the compassion. Yeah. yeah, and it's a harder, it's much harder, and yet it's so much more meaningful, because you get a you get a, a chance to really examine what's going on in life, instead of burying it or, or compartmentalizing it, mm-hmm. and you grow so much through the experience, mm-hmm. and then you find, you can discover a purpose within yourself that you and a strength that you didn't even know you had we've been talking about this for years
0: we
1: have um we have uh, i want to talk about a minute and just very quickly re- re- did last time we have a nonprofit, profit new nonprofit, a part of our nonprofit called lynn's legacy caring for the caregiver we have had our first board meeting two weeks ago a great group of people very very uh involved in in, in um,
0: Our the community, yeah, in, do, in efforts that relate to ours very, very closely.
1: Really, and some yeah. of them are uh, we're now associated with, with one of them, uh, Amy. Well, uh, dealing with homeless and finding homes. Share Sonoma, them.
0: Amy Appleton. We've, yes. There's
1: a number of people, and they're all highly, Elise, mm-hmm. highly qualified, Family highly involved, services. and they really give of themselves. So we're very fortunate. But you know, we're dealing with a cause now that's growing exponentially. And the conscious there's a collective consciousness that's growing about facing mortality. And these people in our board and we and many others have been facing mortality mm-hmm. day and night in our work for a yeah. long time. Right. And the, all of these folks were and they have been in their own work too, in their way. Too. So now we have a beautiful group of of, uh, of of board members for our for our new nonprofit, and this all developed. Out of our own grief and our own, our own facing what my wife was going through, and uh, putting together teams of caregivers and being involved with others going through terribly difficult times, uh, mm-hmm. really dealing with ultimately our mortality, it was very. It's very difficult. Nobody's saying, and it. it's not the grief itself isn't over. It's just, uh, it's kind of like moving through it, moving, going on with life, but it doesn't mean that the grief has been compartmentalize or put away. It doesn't mean yeah. that at all. It means finding there is more life, your grief is with you, and you can live with it and finding new ways to live on, move on, but not let it doesn't mean it's over. No. It just means that there's you can go forward. You don't have to bury it. You don't have to That's
0: that's something she also said yeah. that I thought she did well with. She and she said that I don't believe in she puts quotes around it. I don't believe in moving on, and finding closure. This language distills the messy complexity of grief into tidy sound bites mm-hmm. and asks people to leave something behind, Mm-mm. bury it, or lock it away. No, and that's not the
1: way. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking. About. No, at all. Uh, no, she said. Instead, we move forward with grief. Can we do it? And I, I can attest that we yes, actually can. Mm-hmm. Can we find a way to integrate it and in, loss into our life to, to carry it with us? I can attest to it personally. That's exactly what you wind up doing. Right. And it's not we're not talking about easy. We're talking about real life. She's talking about something, a profound kind of awareness and change. Obviously, she isn't one of those people that have buried or compartmentalized. She stood and faced it. She's buried witness to it. Mm. She's listened to people in their times of need, and she's been there for them, sometimes with no answers, like the... the um, conventional medical would have answers for what you're supposed to. Sometimes in palliative care, the only thing you could do is listen Mm -hmm. and be there with them and uh, bear witness to the loss and the pain. We have, over the last two and a half years, we've helped so many caregivers, including nurses and uh, I'll say some doctors, but caregivers of all kinds. And what they went through as the bridge between their dying loved ones and they're not having really because of the way... Because of the epidemic, they weren't even allowed to be. And
0: they could not be with their loved
1: ones. It was it was it was such a torturous route, and she, she writes about she a couple of examples. Some,
0: yes.
1: What a heartbreak it is, and we used to see it. In fact, I have a friend that went through that, and he's, in town, and a very nice man, and that's what he went through. He had the, he had there was a glass partition between himself and his wife, mm. and, he wasn't allowed to go beyond that partition, and he stayed with it stayed at that and they told her that she needed something and he ran home to get it and in that period of time 20 minutes she died and he's he's grieving he's he's doing the best he can he says but he talked about how it felt that he he felt i wish i could have done more but i couldn't even be at her side when she was dying and when she said goodbye when i went away to get something for her Mm -hmm. it wasn't just goodbye until you return it was her last goodbye I've heard more stories like this. I've also seen the damage and the pain that bear caregivers have had to bear because they were the bridge. They were the people that would be communicating between the loved one who was ill and the family. And it's brutal. I've seen more in this last 2 years of caregivers Mm-hmm. Turning away from the professions that they loved and were devoted to. I think it's leading to some burnout. In a lot, and staff. we and we are a very kind of experienced, repeated experience. Yeah, Jenny alluded to it. We, we are. We've developed so many training programs and protocols to intervene for caregivers in our nonprofit, so they don't burn out. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen so many really dedicated people couldn't take it anymore to watch so much of death and dying and not being able to do anything and watch the suffering of the loved ones. Mm-hmm. And I've seen more stories. I've heard more. I have in my own family, I know some, where it was unbearable to go through that day and night and see so, many, so much suffering and dying
0: Yeah,
1: and the mm-hmm. pain of the families and their not being able to be there. Mm-hmm. It is so unnatural and it was so yeah. devastating. It's caused a, a... I would say at this point, it's caused what we, what I would call, it, she does it too, a collective grief. Right. Even though there's so many different reactions to grief, she's right. I mean, this one thing that we could all look at at this point and, sh- and know that we're sharing um, in our shared humanity, it is collective grief. Collective grief. It's affected everybody. Everyone's been affected. Yeah. Yes. So, the, the, and she talks about this, and boy, have we seen it. When you deal with collective grief, it can be very divisive, and people can they can be almost adversarial with each other and um, on and different ways of thinking about things and doing things. How and it's
0: supposed to be done.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not the there's way. There's no right way to grieve. There isn't. No. And what we're learning, and I can speak to, I wasn't always as open minded, and I'm not. I mean, I'm learning to be that. There's many forms ways of grieving, but the one thing that we all do share is this overwhelming experience of having to face mortality and on an enormous scale. And I don't think it's over. I think that we're, the after effects are are still going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet I think it's, and I do believe because of that, it's an opportunity for all of us to be able to come together in some new way. Now I'm not as much of an idealist as, I would say.
0: Sunita.
1: Yeah, I, she's a beautiful and She is yeah. an idealist and yeah. honestly beautiful. Yeah. That she feels this is a way that our country can come together.
0: We could come together instead of being in such And
1: I do believe um, it conflict. could. Yeah. But our experience so far yeah, is so that's, not what, it, like that that's not what it looks like. In yeah. fact, what's happening is so much conflict mm. and so much that was buried during those times seems now to be bursting through. And it does it all pretty. And we've seen so much uh, violence. We've seen conflict. We've seen things that you, on, a, on a pretty big, on a larger scale than we've ever seen before. Right. Right. So we, are, we know it's, it hasn't brought everybody together yet. We've dealt with other crises. And in and, and those times, we've seen the facades come down, the self-protection come down, and it was a collective caring for each other mm-hmm. and a shared humanity. I would. This one has felt different. This one is different, and yeah. I remember we used to talk about in the earlier stages that we expected that that's what was going to happen here.
0: It didn't.
1: It hasn't happened not that no. way. No. We hope it will. It's not over, um, and I hope people will pull together, and will sh- have a. Sh- even though our reactions may be different to facing all of these things that we're talking about today, that they are there to listen. They're there to to to, to hear each other, to share humanity. To, to take down the barriers of distrust, which has really been emphasized during this mm-hmm. pandemic mm-hmm. in a major way, mm-hmm. and to begin to be more trusting and to be more caring and to be more loving, that is so important because this time we've all been affected. We've all been impacted in different ways. So I do believe Zanina is on the right track. I think and, she's a beautiful writer.
0: And I don't, think, I don't think there's any better way for us to, to kind of close today's episode with what you were just talking about, about the, seeing this as a time to come together because we all have lost. We all grieve. Yes. And uh, to focus on that instead of on the things that we don't
1: agree with. Yeah. And, we're, and we, and we want to reach out to caregivers all over the world through these podcasts. And give you encouragement and hope and to we want to emphasize how important it is we emphasize self-care now we also know how it's so easy when you're dealing with someone so sick or dying or helpless how easy it is to put our own needs aside and it's a i know it's strange but it's a mistake because if we don't take care of ourselves and pay attention to our own well-being we're not going to make it ourselves and there's going to be burnout there's going to be a, 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 a avalanche of health issues that come up we've seen it so we want to emphasize to you all um pay attention to our podcasts and the information we have and mm-hmm. to emph- we emphasize self-care and that goes along with the whole package and if you're going to be in it for the long haul and have the resilience it takes to be there for folks in need this is a very important issue so we hope and our podcasts will feed that and fuel that. And any questions you have, any needs, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. And please take a look at our um, YouTube video on Lin, our latest on Lynn's legacy, Caring for the Caregiver. I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. We also have new pins that are coming out mm-hmm. that Steve designed. Yep. They're actually a, a picture. Uh, they uh, uh,
0: Lynn's profile on them. That's yeah, on my Lin's wife's picture. profile. Yeah. She,
1: she did, it looks like Betty Crocker. She, no, was, no. she didn't look like Betty Crocker, but it it's just look, one of those
0: ovals that, you it know, it does look like, like a little like that. But, like Betty Crocker, Betty but it's Crocker not Betty was, Crocker.
1: She was beautiful, mm-hmm. that was beautiful. So it's okay. Yeah, I don't mind. So. It's very pretty. Oh. And um, we hope that you will take what we say seriously and um, know that you have someone in your corner that understands, and that's us. Yes. And, and we I want to wish keep, you all our best. Keep bringing you
0: all of the information, the important messages that we want you to have. Um, just to close off, I got to do my thing. Uh, the Survivors Guide to Life podcast is sponsored by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, sctraumatreatment.org. Um, donations to them will help keep us going here, and we would appreciate it, and, and they would too. Uh, we are the SurvivorsGuideToLife.com. We are on all of the regular podcast outlets, and we have our own YouTube uh, video channel. Please like and share on all of the social media. Peter and I can be reached at 707 or Jenny at com. Thank you for joining us. Keep the faith.